scripture passage this morning is Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 11 can be found in your pew Bible on page 1690. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. In other reading of God's holy word. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thus far the reading of God's word may be blessed to his people. Well... I suppose at this point some of you are wondering, what does Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 11 have to do with Advent? And I suppose some of you are wondering, why sing joy to the world, which is often considered a Christmas song, an Advent song, in correlation with a passage about Jesus' ascension into heaven? And the promise that he will return. Okay, well, I might give you a paradigm shift at this point. But we know that Isaac Watts, the man who wrote Joy to the World, actually wrote it about the second coming of Christ, not the first coming of Christ. We know this for three reasons. First, the song speaks of the whole earth Receiving her king. Now last Sunday I talked to you about how Christ really wasn't received. In fact, he was placed in a manger. That's not a very good reception of the king. But um, here in this hymn, we're told about Christ's acceptance as king. Second, we know the hymn is the song of Christ's second coming. Because verse 3 talks about sins and sorrows being no more. Well, sins and sorrows are still here today. The world is not sin-free, although we have been promised it will be. And third, the final verse reveals that this hymn is about the second coming because it says he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nation prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Well, Christ is ruling and reigning over nations and kings, but he has not come to make that Ruling and reigning. Evident to all. And so here we have this 
joyous Christmas song, Joy to the World. And here we have a passage about the second coming of Christ. And these go together because Advent means arrival. And there has been a first arrival of Christ, but there's also another arrival that's coming. The second coming of Christ. And that's why this year at Advent, I have chosen to do a sermon series about the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and then on Christmas Day, I'm going to talk about the in-between, what we do as we wait here in the middle of Christ's first coming and his second coming. How are we called to live? But today, let's look at the second coming. Our theme this morning is Christ has empowered us to live on mission until he comes again. Christ has empowered us by his spirit to be on mission until he comes again. And we're going to look at this passage in four parts. First is verses 3 through 5. And I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say it means that we're not alone. The second is not now. The disciples asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel in this moment? And he said, it's not for us to know. And that's verses 6 through 7. The third point is not powerless. In verse 8, Christ promises that they will be given power to be his witnesses. And then the fourth is not idle. Verses 9 through 11, there they are staring off into the sky where Christ has gone from their presence. When they are told, hey, get moving. You need to do something. Don't worry, Christ is going to come back the same way you saw him leave. So let's look at the passage this morning. Not alone, verses 3 through 5. The first part of Acts is sort of a recapitulation of what Luke has talked about at the end of his gospel, the gospel of Luke. And in verse 3, we're told about Christ that he revealed himself to men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And we're told that on one of these occasions, he said to them, do not leave the city because he wanted them to be in the city for the moment of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, what the Father had promised. And he said, John baptized with water, but in a few, di- few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I've t- called this not alone for a reason. In John's gospel, we're given this concept of being not left as orphans. In Christ talking to his disciples about the promised Holy Spirit. And here Christ is saying the same thing. On the eve of his ascension into heaven, where his bodily physical presence is now going to be absent from his disciples, something that could be on their minds is, how are we going to get on without you? If you're not here with us, how can we do what we're called to do? How can we accomplish what we must accomplish if we're alone? And Christ's words to them about John baptizing with water, but he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, is Christ's way of saying, I must go and ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father 
that I may send you the Spirit. It's better for me to go because when I go, you will not only have my, have my physical presence, but you will have Spirit dwelling within you to know that I am always with you, that I will never leave you nor forsake you, that I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ says that only because He can be with us by His Spirit, even though He is bodily absent from us. So we are not alone. We're not alone. What about not now? To many of us, verses 6 and 7 might seem strange and bizarre. We're told that as Christ was appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days, he talked about the kingdom of God. And so, in verse 6 and 7, the disciples say, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And see, what we don't understand is that for these national Israelites, these patriots, they couldn't make a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel. Between the heavenly kingdom of God and the geopolitical kingdom of Israel. The land. And the promised Davidic king who would sit on the throne in the city of Jerusalem. This is the kingdom that they, th they thought of. That they were thinking. This is the kingdom that they thought of when the disciples said, we were arguing about who was greatest. And we were arguing about who would sit on your right hand and who would sit on your left hand in your kingdom and in your glory. They weren't talking about heavenly glory. They weren't talking about the kingdom of God coming in the salvation of sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. They weren't talking about the kingdom of God coming and the establishment of the church and the spreading of the gospel. They were thinking kingdom of God like armies and wars and battles and Solomon and all his glory and all the gold and all the wonder and the splendor and all the earthly dust, dirt realities. And so, Jesus, here he is. He's resurrected from the dead. And this is what they think. Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is what he, they're, they're saying. They're saying, Lord, at this time, are you now going to rally the troops? Are you now going to gather the host of the armies of heaven to come down and swoop down and destroy Rome and blast away every other opposing nation and set up your strong throne in Jerusalem? But interestingly, Jesus' answer is not that that isn't going to come. Not that that isn't going to be a reality someday. Not that Christ isn't going to come from heaven and sit on his beam of seat of judgment and judge the world. Not that the new Jerusalem isn't going to come down out of heaven and be the city of God where God and man dwell together and where all people will be judged and every nation and every ruler and every army struck down and defeated. Jesus doesn't say, you're all wrong about the kingdom of God. No, he just says, not now. 
not in that way right now. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know when what you have in mind is going to come, when Christ is going to come back to earth and reclaim it rightfully as his own, as he places every enemy under his foot. As he is doing so now, already, but will do so consummately in my future. Here's a really good example for you about teachers to stay away from. If anybody is trying to give you dates or times about Jesus coming back, they didn't listen to Jesus. Sorry, Harold Camping and all other doomsday people who speak of this time and this date and this is when it's going to happen. Christ said, it's not for us to know the times or the dates. The Father is set by his own authority. We're not told when, we're told not now. When is the second coming of Christ? We are to live as if it is tomorrow. But right now we're told not now. Not now. Okay, well then what? What's going to be the way that the kingdom of God is going to go forward? Jesus, what were you talking about these past 40 days when you preached about the kingdom of God? What were you talking about throughout your entire earthly ministry when you said... Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When you sent us out amongst the people of Israel to say, the kingdom of God has come near. When you said, if I cast out demons, then you know the kingdom of God has come among you. What were you talking about? Therefore, in verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, I'm about to leave you. I'm going to ascend into heaven and sit on my throne next to the Father. But I am not going to leave you powerless to bring the kingdom of God into the world. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. And you can just go out in concentric circles until we reach South Holland, Illinois. You know how many thousands of miles away... Jerusalem is, and the kingdom has come here because Christ has not left his people powerless. Because when he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, he poured out the Helper, the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. And the Holy Spirit comes on you. So not only has the Holy Spirit come that we may have communion and have the presence of Christ with us so that we are not alone, but the Holy Spirit has come to empower us, to be God in us, God with us, to conform us to the image of Christ and to give us the boldness that we need to go out and to continue preaching about the kingdom of God. That the kingdom have, of God has come. That the king came as a little baby. 
but that he grew up and he died on the cross for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected from the dead. And he now sits at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, making all of his enemies a footstool for his feet. And we, as we go out and proclaim the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, that the king has come, that the king has conquered, he has defeated Satan, sin, death. And he is reigning as the ruler of all rulers, as the king of all kings. And maybe we don't see that now, but remember, we live by faith, not by sight. And the Holy Spirit given to us is to embolden us, empower us to continue to bring the kingdom in Christ's physical absence, Christ's spiritual presence continues the spreading and the working of the kingdom of God. So we're not alone. The kingdom is not going to be restored in its fullness now. We're not powerless to continue the work of being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What about this last, this last word, not idle? Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. He went up. He ascended. And they couldn't see him anymore. And then they just stood there. This is what my dad said I used to look like when I watched TV. (laughs) Just gazing off in the sky. Whoa. Where'd he go? And you can almost get the idea that if angels did not appear to shout at them, they'd still be standing there today. Just looking off into the sky. But two angels dressed in white stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? No, that's a kind of a silly question in my opinion. I mean, I'd be thinking, why do you think I'm standing here looking in the sky? Jesus just flew up on a cloud and disappeared. But the idea here is that it's, it's like a rebuke, isn't it? Why are you just standing there? Why are you just looking off into space? This same Jesus, the one you just saw, go behind a cloud and you can no longer see him. He will come back. In the same way you've seen him go into heaven. He will come back. The same way we've seen him go into heaven. These two men dressed in white said this 2,000 some odd years ago. He will come back. 
And even in the apostles' time, Peter wrote in his letter that there would be scoffers and those who would say, if Christ hasn't come back yet, he's never coming back. But we have the promise of God. We have the assurance of his word that the angel's proclamation to the disciples as they stood there gazing off into the sky is the truth that he will come back. And what we're told here is that when he comes back, we should not be found like this. Not idly looking off into space. Why? Because Christ has empowered us by his spirit to be on mission until he comes again. Yes, there was a first coming of Christ. But there will be a second coming of Christ. And that second coming for us is not something that's fiery as something that should cause us to be afraid of the judgment that is to come and to cripple over and be worried and scared about it because the one who comes again to judge us, as the Heidelberg Catechism tells us, is the one who's already been judged in our place. But what it should do is tell us that as long as Christ has not come again, there is still work to be done. That as long as we are here in these days in between, there is work to be accomplished, and Christ has given us his spirit that we may accomplish it. That we are not alone. That we may go out with courage knowing that God goes with us. That we have been told not now but that time will come when Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. That we are not powerless but we have been given the power from the Holy Spirit to embolden us to go out and continue to bring the kingdom of God into this world as we wait for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. We are not to be idle. We are called not only to have an attitude of gratitude, but a life of gratitude. We need to be on mission for Christ. That as we look at the second coming, We go. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we go. As we await the King, we bring kingdom realities into our world. Not just the church, but to our workplaces, and to our families, to our homes. Christ has empowered us by his spirit to be on mission until he comes again. That's why Joy to the World, I believe, is still a Christmas song. Because as we proclaim 
that Christ, that there should be a way made for him that all people should receive him with joy. What we're saying is we want the second coming of Christ to be one of anticipation. As we consider the fact that joy to the world says that Christ has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. To wipe away the effects of the fall. We're saying we want the gospel to go forward as we await the coming of Christ again. Joy to the world is a Christmas song because Advent means arrival. And we not only in this time should be considering the first coming of Christ. We should be considering his second coming as well. And that great hymn that we sing every Christmas is a hymn that perfectly encapsulates what it means to not only consider Christ's first coming, but also his second. So may we as the people of God be not ones who are idle, but those who consider the second coming of Christ and who are spurred on to good works as we await the coming of our King. Christ has empowered us by His Spirit to be on mission until He comes again. So may we be on mission. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for these words of promise. We thank you that you have not left us alone, but given us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would be ready when Christ comes again. But we don't know the times or the dates that you have set by your own authority, but we know that it's not now, but may we live as if it could be tomorrow. Thank you that you have not left us powerless to bring your kingdom into this world. But you've given us the Holy Spirit, God in us, that we may continue the work of Christ in this world. We praise you that your disciples started that work in Jerusalem and it has made it to the ends of the earth where we are here today. And we pray, Lord, that we would not be idle, not be lazy, not be content to simply be fed and fed and fed and never go, never do, never work. But by your Spirit, may we go and be on mission until Christ comes again. It's in his name we pray. Amen.